Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Haas Talks Foss. I'm the Haas, Matt Yakovic. Uh, today, I'm here with Corey Hulin, who is the CTO of Mattermost. Hi, Corey. How are you? Hi. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So Corey and I uh, worked together briefly um, a few years ago um, and have kept in touch over open source conferences. And uh, knowing that Mattermost is so uh, you know dedicated to the open source space, I thought he would be a great resource to come on, talk a little bit about how um, their changing some of uh, how people operate uh, DevOps and how people operate their systems uh, and talk a little bit about, you know, his experience in the open source space. But um, your background isn't in open source until Mattermost, right? Yeah, that's true. Like I said, I, I wasn't, um, at least I wasn't get, like working in it full time or getting paid to work in it. I was doing random small stuff here or there, but nothing Nothing, nothing to this scale. <laughs> you, you, were, you worked for Microsoft before they loved open source, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I worked, for, I worked for Microsoft before they loved open source. I'm coming from that environment and seeing them today and talking to some of my friends there. Like, I'm truly impressed by like, I know a lot of people like, yeah, a lot of people uh, consider them the evil empire, but I, knowing what I'm, and it wasn't like they were like bad back then, but just knowing the sort of mentality they were back then compared to where they are now, I'm truly impressed. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did that really uh, way back in my career, and then some other startupy stuff, and then here at Mattermost. So. so, coming from you said the evil empire, I did not. I, you know, they've done a great job, but you know, Corey said the evil empire. So coming from the evil empire into the open source space, <laughs> um, you know, how did that? How did that look? Like that? That that had to be kind of like a. This is weird. Uh, this is a little strange. Uh, what was it? Yeah, I think it definitely is. I mean, I think there's a lot of similarities or, or things that Microsoft does, like building community and stuff like that, that they do really well. Uh, it's not necessarily open source community or, you know, computing open source or source available stuff, but like they always, they always had that kind of motion that they're really good. I mean, they're also good at the sell side of it too, but, but I think that's, there's a lot of similarities there. Um, but yeah, you know, the big piece missing is probably the, the mindset of the mantra, which I think has definitely changed about being, you know, open, open source and stuff like that. It was definitely more of a, even though they did it really well, I'd say a controlled relationship. So, but it was really fun to see that experience and apply some of that experience to sort of outsider different. I, I think they're really good at producing software and teams that produce software and how they innovate and stuff like that. Um, and like I said, they, to do it at a scale that, you know, very few companies can do it at. But uh, but yeah, I think they've. I'm been like I said. I think their learning curve over the last several years around the open source space has been for the old Microsoft I know. Okay, but 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 from a you perspective, right? So let's talk about you. Like, did you have an aha moment where you're like, "What the heck is this? This is crazy!" Like, uh, you know, like this is not how I've I've done things in the past. I, I don't. Yes, but it, honestly, it wasn't until I left. Microsoft, for a lot of reasons back then, had a lot of it has to be built here because of liabilities and legal things and all that stuff, right? So it was very much a, a, we weren't allowed to even look at external source repositories because they're so scared of you know being sued and whatnot. And so for me, that was a big aha moment when when I ended up leaving, um, just having that freedom to like, oh, okay, like look at this. There's all this stuff out there that's great that I can you know borrow from, learn from, however you want to describe it. Um, and I think that's a mindset that has radically changed. Like, like and this is a few years ago now, but I had a friend there who showed up, we were meeting and he showed up with a MacBook and I'm like, that is like the weirdest thing in the world 
to show to see a, micro, uh, a Microsoft employee show up with a, a you know a company uh, laptop that's a MacBook. So I think, like I said, that's not necessarily open source related, but I think just mindset change in terms of so. What they need but, to do. So, so when you when you started, you know, the first open source project, which was Mattermost, and before Mattermost, it was not Mattermost; it was you know the gaming company. Yeah. You know. Um, so as you started to start to develop your, you know, like that first iteration of your open source project, how did that go? Like, what did that look like? Like, did it feel weird? Yeah, I mean, it definitely felt really weird, especially for me. Like, come, like, like I said, I've done some small contribution stuff here and there, nothing to brag about or nothing major at all. And to be on the other side of that fence in terms of going through this process of, hey, we're going to open source all this stuff. And we did it for some strategic reasons. Like right? one of them was... We just thought, like, when you think of Mattermost back then, we, we thought of it as a platform. And if we wanted that platform to be ubiquitous, like, we thought open source was the way to do it, right? Just a ubiquitous, easy-to-use platform that everyone can get involved in. So that that's one side of the reason, like, sort of the, the logic behind doing it. But then there's the act of doing it. And then there's the, the not only the act of doing it, but going from one of those developers who always contributed to private repositories cared more about probably the outcome versus <laughs> the, the, the actual like, you know, quality of, of the code base sometimes, right? You end up having, at least for me, a real epiphany moment of like, oh, wow, like we're going to open source this stuff. And like, it has my name written <laughs> all over it. I better go through and clean it up some, um, you know? And so that, that was a really interesting experience for me because like I said, I had never done it on that scale. And I think the more interesting experience for me, and this was the aha moment, was when we when we did open source it, just seeing so many people wanted to come contribute and help and, and look to the source code, um, that was an amazing thing to me in the sense of like I was kind of like almost I mean inside in hindsight is like Doug Corey it's obvious but like at the time like this is you know I don't know six years ago now maybe seven years ago I can't remember how long you're more than five for sure. Um, you know, at the time, like I just didn't think people would be interested, right? It just it's like okay, whatever. We'll sort, you know, it'll be there so people can look at it, blah blah blah. But I didn't think it'd be that big of a response, right? And that it's the same thing. It's like it even causes more fear and anxiety. Of like, okay, there's a lot more people looking at this than I would have thought. Like, let me go clean some more of it up. So there's a lot of that kind of cyclical process going on. <laughs> well, so Matter Most has a pretty active contributor base. Uh, yeah. Which is kind of cool, right? You know, not all projects have that. Like, so quite yeah. honestly, I've talked to more projects that are desperate for contributors than than are be like, oh, this is great. I have so many. I didn't expect this, right? It's it's the opposite of what a lot of people experience. Yeah, and I, I think in the early days, it was probably more sort of not. I think it's kind of two things. I think it was the space, right? People are always interested in communication platforms, stuff like that. That's one. I think it was the technology, I'll be honest. Like when you look back today, it's really easiest choices. But back then when we made these choices, being a Go-based server on the back end, React on the front end, like those were very new and novel choices five, six years ago. Yeah, Go, Go had been around for several years, but I wouldn't call it, it's nothing like it is today. It was definitely not mainstay when we made some of those decisions. So it gave people an opportunity to learn that. Yeah. And exactly. Right. And so copy all of our bad mistakes, right? <laughs> I think with, same thing like React Native is another example. We're one of the early adopters of, of that um, as well. And like I said, I think you know, Facebook uses a uses this as an example of their F8 conference, because I think we're one of the, the largest open source, at least, React Native projects, right? And so they have a bunch of closed source ones that they can't showcase on stage or talk about or don't don't really want to, but ours is open source so they can. So so a lot of that kind of stuff as well. So yeah. I think it started off like 
getting lucky, having the right alignment. But then we've also like poured a ton of energy into that. Like we do a lot of what we like to call community buddies, nurturing and mentoring that. And then the honestly, the biggest thing is just directing that audience. So we do it through like help wanted tickets. We're really good about trying to create help wanted tickets and get them published out there so people can can discover easy ways to contribute. And we even rank them or label them like, you know, easy first contribution ticket, stuff like that. I think of those things, they, and that people don't realize like that takes a lot of work and it's a lot of energy oh, to go yeah. do those things. And it's just constant energy. It's just sort of like a hum that you just have to keep doing. And I think that's one of those things that people don't realize. Like you have to keep up that, that constant energy to keep the community engaged. And we, we go through, you know, spells where we'd like more contributors and less. Um, but but I think overall we've been we've been really lucky. <laughs> no, and I, I think that that's one of the interesting things is, you know, especially from a community perspective, is the consistency matters so much externally. It's easy sometimes for you to dismiss it internally, right? Because yeah. you're like, oh, yet another thing that I have to do. You know, maybe I can just let it sit for a week or two or whatever. But you don't realize how many people externally are counting on like that one thing to happen on a regular basis or, yeah. you know, to be able to go out there. And well, I think that being reactive, like another really great thing that I still we, we still pride ourselves on. We typically get back to a community pull request. We always had a, a mantra. We want to get back within one business day. I don't know what our stats are today, but I guarantee you it's close because even if it's three, four days, that's like light years ahead of other projects where we have people who come to us and say, oh yeah, I submitted this, this project. And it took like three months before somebody reviewed it. Right? We try really hard to be very quick on that, that review cycle, that review period and, and make, cause like I said, those contributors, they're, they're choosing to spend their free time, their energy, you know, working on your project. Like the least we could do is, is be receptive to that. And like I said, on average, like our response time is really good. And that, that's one of the things I'm constantly proud of because we hear I hear that all the time when I randomly meet with people in our community. You know, I ask them like, "Well, you know, tell me some good things about us," and they're like, "Ah, oh, like it's amazing. Like I submitted a pull request to you, you all, and it was you know reviewed and at least reviewed. It may not have merged, but like I gotten feedback about it within a couple of days. Right? And people submit to other projects, and it can take months or even years. <laughs> but I mean, like, so this is an interesting thing because I've talked to a lot of people who have those backlogs of PRs that are 800 PRs long. Um, and I think that it's, it's an interesting kind of like debate, right? Because I hear this a lot. We, we're trying to hire engineers. We need more engineers. So we're focused on our core products. Right. Yep. And we're focused on getting out the next release. And so we don't have time for those PRs. Yep. So how do you find time? How does the team find time for those? How do you how, how did you bake that into the process early on? I think we I mean, I think it's just a mindset as a company like like, you know, like the executives believe in it. I believe in it. It's just one of those things we push. And I'll give you the best example. Like. And, and it's like one of those things until people have epiphanies. And so we ha we have we we kind of source recruits from two different areas. Obviously, one is from our open source community, which we love because they can already hit the ground running, all that kind of stuff. And the other is just non open source people, right? Good people who come in through recommendations or referrals, or whatever, right? And the mindset of those two, and, and there's not one or another, like, but the mindset is very different because if somebody comes from the community, they kind of understand like what needs to be helped. But the funnest thing is when I find someone who's not from community. And they start working on something or doing something. And I'm like, you know, it'd be great. That'd be an awesome community campaign, right? Like 
create a campaign around it, go create five, 10, 15 help wanted tickets, and let's see what happens. And most, and it takes a lot of convincing sometimes, especially people who are not coming from the open source community. Like just, and I just keep, it's not like a requirement. It's not like you must do this. I just keep pounding them like, hey, have you tried a campaign around that yet? No, no, no. And I just keep working on it. And finally, somebody will buy it and they'll be like, okay, we'll create a campaign, Corey. Stop bothering me. Here's 10 help wanted tickets. And then it kind of sits there and it's kind of typically, it's like crickets, right? People are like, ugh. And I keep telling people, no, 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 this is how open source works. You got to be kind of talking to an empty room, like, and you got to be continuously talking to that empty room until people start showing up. And once people start showing up, they'll sit down and they'll start helping and listening or whatever. And that's exactly how our community, like our, our contribution campaigns go is exactly like that. So and it's the most amazing thing to see a non-open source person or someone who doesn't come from that background. Because this is the epiphany I had, right? Or, or the experience I had. And they create these campaigns. They start creating all these help wanted tickets and asking for help. And it's kind of like nothing, nothing, nothing. And then someday, one day, somebody shows up and does something, Right. And someone else shows up the next day and does a little bit more, a little bit more. And before you know it, before you know it, that person's coming back and it's like, oh my gosh, like this is the most amazing thing in the world. Like, here's all these things that I didn't think people would want to do, but they just showed up and started helping, right? And 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 for various reasons, right? Whether it's in their own interest, who knows why. But that that's one of those interesting journeys that like and then then you see the convert, right? You see that person who didn't come from the open source community be like, wow, that was like really amazing, helpful, you know. Um um, experience or whatever. And I, I just find that so fascinating and, and fulfilling when that happens. Just, just to clarify, when you talk about a campaign, what you're talking about is uh, potentially like, you know, a feature or a spec or something that you're, yeah. you're going to say like, hey, we would normally develop that internally, but let's try and see if we can get the help from the open source community. So basically outline it like you would, but outline it for external consumption. Exactly. Like we we're, we pride ourselves on being very open, right? In terms of we try to spec it openly, we try to design it openly, we try to do all those things so people can experience that in the open. And and there's there's campaigns that definitely take the 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 feature route, like it's a specific feature. And then there's campaigns that is just like let's call I don't want to call them quality of life, but are just like rinse and repeat campaigns. Like, hey, we need to add test automation to the mobile app. Here's like. 50 tickets of where we could use help with automation, right? Around the mobile app. And the, those are really nice because you don't have to necessarily dive in and understand this huge spec and this feature. People love doing that, don't get me wrong, but there's all there's a subset of people who don't as well. The other ones are really nice too because it's like, oh, here's a little bite-sized thing I can do. I can just jump in and contribute in like half a day, right? The, the other side takes, you know, days, if not weeks or months. Uh, and I think it's about having the balance of both those, right? Because... People love to eat. It's like, I describe it as like, you know, eating different kinds of meals, right? Like you have your buffet, you have your fancy high-end dinner. And the reality is people, I, I like both, right? I like going to a nice buffet and I like having a nice fancy high-end dinner. So I think about, for us, it's about having that, that varied, that, that, you know, that varied sort of stuff or whatever. You know? So are your engineers then building those help wanted? Or do you have like community people who build them for the engineers? Like, how, how does that work? How does that look? It's both. It depends on the types of, of campaigns that we're running. Lots of times our product management will help, will help design will help. Um, engineers will definitely are definitely one of the large part of those leaders. Some of the things we've been trying to do lately is experimenting. It's always easy in the engine. I mean, this is one of the things that like perplexes me about open source. It's always it, comparatively, it's always a hundred times easier to get an engineer to work on something than let's say a designer 
or a QA person or a documentation person, right? Uh, so we, we've been trying experimenting with a lot of campaigns around that. Like we had a doc campaign that we recently ran, I don't know, probably a few months ago now. Um, but even trying to do external, what we call like design crits and inviting people from the community to come help and participate. Um, and I think we're in our early stages of seeing how those things play out. It gets me excited, but it's also, there's so much more to go there um, compared to the engineering side. I think everyone thinks there's engineering and that's great, but like, to me, there's so much yeah. bigger areas to talk about. Well, and I think that's the thing that um, I, I've been preaching quite a bit about um, is contributions are not just code. Yes. And, um, you know, so, so, so Corey, you know, without me putting words into your mouth and I can tell you my feelings on that, like maybe, maybe tell us like some of the things that you are looking for from a project perspective that aren't code related, that would really help the team and help the project. Yeah, I think the big ones, because there's the biggest gap, would be things like design, right? I would love to see more people in the open source community contributing to design. QA, whether that's software automation QA, whether that's just manual QA, some sort of quality assurance piece. I think those are two big areas. Another third one is documentation. Um, those are all the areas that we're kind of focusing on and trying to focus on. There's actually, a, there's surprisingly, there's, there's one other area that's really popular. So... Engineering code contributions is by far the most popular. The second easiest, I would say, for us as a company is translations. Like we have an amazing community of people who help us translate. Translations are always good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that, that's another one that it just, I don't know what it is about that community. They're just awesome. They just love translating stuff. I don't know what it is, but it's just, that's another one where we do a lot of work there too to help foster and grow that. But we don't have to, we don't really have to work as hard or nearly as hard. Um, you know, and I don't know, I forget what, how many languages are right now, 16 or something like that. But you know, a lot of that has, I mean, 99.9% of that has literally been like, you know, open source community, organic growth kind of stuff. Now we on yeah. the company side and on the project side, put a lot of effort into it, right? It's a lot of effort to maintain the ability to localize the software and all that kind of stuff and the tool oh, yeah. to do it. So we, we put a lot of engineering horsepower behind it. But the community comes in and does the translations for us, and it's it's amazing. Like that's that's one of those ones that's actually really good too, to be honest. But I'd say for me, the other I'd be curious about your opinion. My my ears would be design, QA, and documentation would be awesome. We would love product management as well, or product stuff as well. That one's I think even harder because it can be more nebulous in terms of what you want to do there. But uh, I would love to experiment with something there too. But we're doing a lot of experiments around design and documentation right now. And it's the documentation one has been really help, paying off the QA one as well. I think they're still really small comparatively. Uh, the design one is where I think we're doing a lot of iteration and trying. So we'll see what happens there. So for me, that the ones that I have that aren't necessarily on yours, um, which they're a bit nebulous as well, feedback, Right. Like, so, you know, and you can call that a little bit of product management. You can call it a little bit of, you know, QA. You can call it a little bit of this, you know, as you know, we, we, we get features in beta or that start, you know, um, you know, making their way through the system. I have not met an engineer who doesn't want to hear how it's being used and if people actually like it the way it is. Right. And um, I, I hear that quite a bit where it's, you know, oh, well, nobody told me whether this is used or not, so I don't know. And so that feedback loop, I mean, you don't think of that as a contribution per se, because there isn't like, here's a pull request for this. 
but participation in the the discussions on whether it's GitHub or Jira or wherever you're, you know, you're having those discussions. Oh my God, that's gold. Yeah. That that's actually another really good one. Like feedback, like user testing, all those types of things, especially user testing on people who kind of know what you are. Like it's fine to use usertesting.com, but sometimes when they, you know, or something like that, but where they don't know what your sort of tool set is, what you're trying to accomplish, it can be really varied. But I think I think that's actually a really good one as well. We haven't really thought I haven't we haven't really thought about that one much. Um but that's yeah. a good one too. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. The other one that I, that I, that I am pushing, and th- this is, again, it, it depends on what the goal of your contributors are. Um, you know, you talk about documentation and depending on where your documentation ends um, will dictate like what is left. Right. So, um, you know, a lot of projects have really good documentation on installation or setup. They have crap documentation on real world usage. Yes. Right. So the tutorials or the how to's or the, you know, this is how I did this thing. um, Those are things that are often missed. And like those, those are also like they're inspirational articles, if you will, or inspirational pieces of, of content. Um, You know, I, I know from like a matter most perspective, you know, plugging in, you know, like, you know, other operations tools or other, you know, monitoring tools into that ecosystem, you know, you've got, you know, use cases and uh, case studies where it talks about like, you know, hey, this big bank did the security thing. They, you know, you plug this into their, you know, uh, red team, blue teams, you know, where they fought against each other to try and hack each other. And all this information just started flowing real time, all that kind of cool stuff, like that type of stuff and how people did it is so valuable because, it not only tells engineers how it's being used in real life, it can then say like, oh, well, it could have been 10 times easier if this thing got fixed or if this other thing. And then another contributor might say like, can I do that for this other use case? I think that's it. Yeah. Those use cases, those practice templates, however you want to describe it. You, you are right. Like that's, it's really easy is relative, but like for us to get documentation on how to set up Mattermost with Nginx or something like that. Okay. Like, like that's a lot easier documentation to get than that what you described, which is like here's a scenario or use case of how we really use it, and let us sort of give back to that community by through documentation of like here's how you should here's how we set it up. Maybe you can get benefit from setting up and using it like this. Like yeah, that that's honestly probably borderline non-existent. <laughs> like we do that from the company side. Like we have our content people who write that kind of information. I don't know, and I'm probably getting in trouble. I don't know if I've ever seen come in through like something from a contract excuse me, contribution come in like that. I think it's hard. It, it is, right? Like, um, and I think, you know, depending on the software, you know, you'll you'll see some more than others. Um, you know, I mean, we, we do infrastructure software on our side, right? Databases. And we'll get some of those use cases and they're great. They'll come and talk at conferences. We'll have slide decks, we'll have videos. That's great. And I consider those people contributors. Um, yeah. And, you know, so what we did internally was, kind of built a scorecard where it's like, you know, oh, a PR request that gets accepted is this. And like, you know, uh, if you do a blog post that talks about this, then it's this. So we try and equalize that so we can kind of figure out like, you know, hey, you might not be doing code contributions, but you are still a super active contributor to Did this ecosystem. You bring up a good point. I know you heard that before. And I always wanted to experiment there too with, with exactly that, like sending community members to conferences and stuff and to to speak on the project's behalf and whatnot. We don't do that nearly enough. 
Um, and I, I that's something I would love to, to sort of do as well is kind of investigate that side of it. Because I think, I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like we're still, you know, a small company comparatively. So the more we can have local community members show up and, and do stuff and talk like the better it is. You have to admit the power of the matter most mug is pretty powerful. It is pretty powerful. It, it, engineers are, the, are, yeah, open source people are the most amazing people in the world. Right? They'll work. Whole, engineers especially, right? There's always two things that fascinate me by engineers, right? One is exactly that. They'll, you know, free stuff, like a mug, like, I'm in. <laughs> like, right? And the other one is, for some weird reason, engineers don't want to pay for 99 cent apps, right? They're like, oh, I can build that in three weeks. I'm not going to pay 99 cents. I'm like, yeah, but 99 cents, that's like one... You know, that's like five minutes of your time. <laughs> I just paid 99 cents, right? Even I find myself doing that something. Man, I'm not going to pay 99 cents for that. <laughs> but it's just, that. Yeah, you're right. That's one of those amazing things. And I think that's actually another thing we do a lot with our community is we try to give them a lot of swag in terms of shirts and mugs and contributions. And it's, you know, it's never going to equate monetarily back to like the effort they put in. But it's a, it's a hurrah. Hey, we really appreciate, appreciate you, that kind of stuff. And it, it goes... People forget, like, that kind of stuff goes a long way because it's more about mission. Those people are already there for mission, right? They're not there monetarily or anything like that. They're there because for some reason, there's something they believe in, something they want to learn, whatever that is. So they're already there. They're not doing it for money. They're not doing it for these things. But I think the more we, um, as a project and a company, can say, hey, thank you. Here's a pat on the back. We really appreciate it. You know, And, and here's a, a mug or a T-shirt or something in exchange. Um, those little gestures go a really long way. So I think people forget that. I remember having conversations with contributors, at, you know, of Mattermost, and you know, they were like, ah, they they offered this mug, and I was like, I'm getting that mug. I'm getting that mug. You know, um, and what's funny is a lot of times they they do kind of eclectic things, right? You just never know what people are going to use your software for. Um, there was one uh, person that I remember talking with who you know used it to track the feeding schedules for his snakes. <laughs> well, and we have, I think, three mugs now. I don't know how many mugs are up to, but we have the original one you can get. You can get a boards mug for contributing to the focal board team. And we have a, actually a security mug. And that even per, internally, people at the company are trying to get that one. So we have a mug. If you find a security issue, it's like a it's a black mug. that I think when you fill it up with coffee, it like lights or not lights up, but the words come out. Um, oh, that one's actually that's cool. internal, internally at the company. So same thing. Like if, even if you work for the company, you have to do a contribution to one of those repositories before we'll give you a mug. Um, and like I said, the, the security researcher mug, even internally at the company, people are like, oh, Ex <laughs> exclusive swag, exclusive yeah. swag, right? <laughs> That's always the best. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so it, it's great, you know, and I, I think that, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've always admired about the Mattermost ecosystem is that contribution base. It's the, you know, the, the fervent fans. And, you know, you, you mentioned rewarding. I know one of the cool perks that, I, I don't know if you're still doing, but are you still doing MatterCon and flying contributors? Well, we, yes, we, we it's we have been well, doing it. Obviously, COVID. COVID we did, but we did do it virtually, and we did send we did it with Oculus Rifts, and then we did send a bunch of community members Oculus Rifts. So one of the things you're right, one of the other, so after COVID's over, we're definitely getting back to that and having our MatterCons where we invite community members and stuff like that for sure. So yeah. just so everybody knows what MatterCon is, it's the internal engineering kickoff, right? Um, yeah. that you normally do, but some number of contributors become part of the engineering team basically for that week yeah. and are invited to whatever, you know, exotic location Corey dreams up. <laughs> exactly. Like we, we try to get, uh, not just engineering, we try to get the entire company there, but, but it's obviously very R and D focused usually. And that's exactly it. Like, like we try to split it into 
in the two halves, one's kind of company half for the first couple of days. And then it's a really community focused sort of all engineering event where we exactly that we fly in a bunch of community members um, and we just, we just sit around and talk shop around Mattermost and it's, it's a great time. And it's, yeah, it's for obvious reasons. It's usually a nice location and stuff like that. So it makes for a lot of fun. Hey, nice locations make it better. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, so uh, always, always good, good to have those nice locations. Now, um, you know, it's interesting because um, I, I think that everyone hears like, you know, what, what you're saying, what I've mentioned, they're like, oh yeah, we totally want to do that. But I think the most difficult thing is there, there's, there's kind of a, a leap of faith in some of this because from a, you know, uh, uh, an executive perspective and people who aren't necessarily tied to the open source community, um, it's hard for those people to see the value in some of these activities and some of the the resources spent. So, you know, I'm not trying to like, you know, call out people, executives or investors or anything like that. I, but what I'm curious on is, are there metrics that you've found that are helpful uh, from a community perspective on like, you know, hey, how do you measure, you know, the, the elusive ROI, if you will, of some of these activities? You know, I mean, certainly, I, I mean, I view some of these as like, man, I don't know if I can like show the ROI on some of these. It's a leap of faith that, you know, happy, you know, contributors are going to contribute more and it's better for all of us. But um, are, are there things that you've looked at or explored? Yeah, I mean, we, we tend to track different things. Contributors, new contributors per month is one metric we really focus on. Okay. Uh, PRs from outside from outside company, right? From 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 communities, another metric we track, and we we pretty we we track those pretty hard. Like we're not necessarily in there every day looking at them, but we're definitely reviewing them once a month. So I'm kind of sitting down as a whole R and D team, engineering structure team of like, okay. Is this where we want it to be? Is this going up? Is this going sideways? Is this flat? And then trying to actively do those things that change that. But I'd say those are the two things that 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 we kind of focus on. I'm sure there's a lot of others or better ones. Those are just like the easiest ones for us to do. Um, and they're the, they're the easiest ones to see the most value. Because for me, there's definitely a correlation in the sense that you're, you're right. Like convincing executives at a company, this can be hard. But it's really easy when... A bunch of like individual contributors at your company and staff members or employees at your company start saying the same thing, right? And it's one of the and we see this like when we have high like Oktoberfest with October, right, is like an amazing month for us. I think it's for most for a lot of open source projects, they get a lot of contributions. You know, ours definitely spikes during this time. And it's fun to hear and feel like at our company, especially this month, like what's going on. Cause people are like, this is amazing. Like I, I can't remember like one of the one of the repos somebody was talking where it was like. 130 pull requests and more than 30 new contributors for just that one repository, right? In that one repository, right? And and it, it's fun to see the excitement as a company. And I think that's, it's probably not great advice, but I think that's one of the best ways is, you know, at our size of company is when you get everyone around the company really excited and seeing it. Then that that just bleeds up, right? If you're if you're an executive setting some of those functions, you're kind of like, what's going on? Everybody's talking about this cool thing that's happening. Like, let me let me see more. Um, but you're right; it, it can be. I think if you, it can be a hard sell sometimes, right? So if you don't have open source as your roots, or if you don't have somebody at the exact level or whatever at the investor level who 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 not only espouses it to be honest, but believes in it, right? Um, it, it's it's you know it can be one of those hard things. I think. Um, and I think that's kind of always the first key is just making sure there's representation there. 
Um, you know, there's somebody at that level, whether it be investor level, whether it be exec level, board level, whatever, who has yeah. some belief in it, right? And, and it's one of those. It's hard, right? Because I mean, you know, it's one of those mission-driven things, right? Like it's one of those things you have to believe um, because you believe. Yeah, it. I mean, this is one of those. It's a difficult thing, and I've I've talked to a lot of different people, and this is a struggle, right? So, you know. Um, I get I get a lot of like so what's when I talk with some execs um, and I'm not talking about Percona. Ex- I, I talk with all kinds of people all over yeah. the place, and I talked with some of what you'd consider the stalwarts of the open source space, and a lot of them say like, "Oh, metrics kill us because you know management changes and they come in and they go, well, what's the ROI for the thing that we're doing?" And it's like, "Well, we're building more contributors. Well, what's the ROI? So what? So what? Yeah. You know?" Um, and uh, you know, there's that elusiveness, right? Yeah. Um, and not everyone is actually looking for the same level of contributions, right? So, yeah, that's true. You know, a, a company that's looking for, you know, um, contributions from a code perspective, you, you know, th- you, you might have like a DevRel person or an OSPO role where it's like, it's all about the contributions. It's all about code in, code out. Mm-hmm. And you might have uh, the same role, the same named role, where it's all about adoption of the software. Yeah. You know, and uh, so it's it's weird because there's a lot of inconsistency across the board when you talk about some of this. And there's so there's struggles, right? So I, I often think like the people who are interested in adoption, they're more on the ROI side, whereas, you know, like the people who are interested in the contributions are more on the ROI from, hey, look at how much work that the community did for us, right? Like, so, you know, they offset engineering, we hired some people, we did some stuff like this, it helped in all these different ways, um, but it might not help necessarily the you know, bottom line. I th- and you brought up a kind of an interesting point. We call it free like a puppy. Like you have to be very careful of that in the open source world, right? And it's hard, right? Because some of that stuff is like free like a beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> free as a beer. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard because like we, we actively try to manage like away from that. And the way we do that is we try to be very clear on like, here's where we're accepting contributions. Here's where we'd like to go. If you're doing something over here, that's awesome. We want to support you and give you a tweet and give you a raw, raw, like fork us, go do whatever you want. But that's probably not something for core or mainline. So, and when, those are hard conversations to have, right? But what I found is like, most people just don't know. Like, like there's kind of like three people, right? They're, a, they're, a, they're aligned to the project and they're working that direction. Those people are awesome. They don't do anything, right? Then there's the other extreme, which is they're not aligned and they have no interest in aligning. That's the that's the hard bucket where it's and it's small. It's like let's say less than ten percent, probably less than five percent. That's the bucket where you're kind of like, thank you very much. Like you can go do your own thing over there, right? And the reality is the majority of people sit in the middle, which is they want to help the project and they're just not aligned. But they don't know that they're not aligned. They don't know that they're working on things that like it's like, hey, if you work on these things, the community would value these things so much more. And what we find we spend the majority of our time doing is educating that middle bucket, right? Um, that's where we spend the majority of our time. And, and it's a huge win-win because when I meet with most community contributors, they're like, oh, this is all. I like, it's like it's even in your real work job that you get paid for. I would much rather work on something that's going to contribute to the company's success or whatever it is or my boss is going to see and be like, oh, that's awesome. I mean, same reality happens in the open source community, right? People want to work on things that are going to be elevated or that is important to the project, right? So everyone else can see it. It's you know, human ego in some respects. But And so we spend a large bulk of our time just educating those people in the middle of like, hey, that's awesome. We want to support you. But like, 
if you're working on this other thing over here, like that's what the community really wants. Like, <laughs> like the project really yeah. wants. People are like, oh, that's okay. That's yeah, sure, I can do that. That's awesome. But I don't really, I'm not married to this idea kind of attitude. Um, and so we, there's a lot of that that happens too. Yeah, no, and I mean it's a, it's an interesting space because you know the, the the community can be so open and so involved. They get so passionate about certain things. You know, and, you know, sometimes it's hard to have those conversations because, you know, like you said, there might be those 5% of people who are like, wow, that's great. But like to maintain what you just did would like cost an entire new engineering team. (laughs) You know, like we would have to double our staff. Um, So always difficult, um, you know, but you have to align things externally and internally. So um, it's, it's cool advice to see how you're doing those campaigns and, you know, the help wanted. And I would encourage other folks in that space to, to take a look at how they might be able to replicate that. Um, so product wise, um, for those of you who don't know what matter most is, we probably should have said, probably should have said earlier, <laughs> on, but, um, you know, and, and so, uh, we can, we can, we can call it probably and do it disservice by saying that most people think of it as 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 chat yeah persistent chat like well we like to consider ourselves communication to our platform but topic based or channel based but but our our sort of you know if you know what slack is we're like an open source equivalent to that alternative to that i think the more interesting thing is like where's the space we play and for us it's definitely around privacy and security at least when we separate the thing there's the open source project but the company side of it obviously you know, we spend a lot of time in that sort of secure space, that privacy space. Uh, that's where our market is, and that's where we tend to do really well. Um, yeah. yeah, and but I mean, it's grown beyond just chat. I mean, and we've seen yeah. this with other, you know, like like communications platforms. Um, you know, a lot of people are starting to integrate their pipelines, their you know, uh, DevOps, uh, you know, uh, automation. Yeah, chat ops, yeah. And and so so it's chat ops. So maybe tell us a little bit about what chat ops is and like, you know, like how that's evolved. Yeah, Yeah, so I mean, basically, I mean, chat ops is probably an older term now, but it's exactly that. It's like taking your CICD pipeline, uh, you know, a lot of your... Thanks, Corey, for for (laughs) calling me old. It's an old term. No, I use that term too. Like, but but uh, what do you call it then? Okay, like educate me. I, I, that, that's a good question. I, I think it's it's more about just we, we call it developer collaboration. But I'll describe it in terms of maybe products that we have because you know there's there's that whole notion of taking a lot of exactly that like your CI/CD pipeline, your automation tools, your tools that deploy stuff to the cloud, and integrating those into your chat application. Right. Uh, we we have like I said. One of the things that we've been investing a lot of time in is what we call developer collaboration, right? So anything where a developer or, and we use the word developer very loosely. It's not necessarily somebody who would go which writes code, but anyone in that kind of knowledge worker kind of space, right? Um, who, who needs to integrate those types of things. So th- that's where we've been really focused as a platform. So we have Mattermost channels that it's just communication that does that today. We have a playbooks feature, which is basically incident management or incident response. Um, so if you think of like things like checklists or, what's typically called like SRE incident management. So you have an outage, you know, what's the checklist or the playbook or the flight you run to bring that outage back up, you know, stuff like that. So we have a whole mechanism or tool set application around helping you manage that kind of workflow. And the most recent one we added, which we're really excited about is actually boards. Um, So Mattermost boards, it's completely integrated Mattermost and that's basically Kanban style boards, so project management. And we're really trying to focus on 
developer collaboration. So what are those things that you do as a team where you need communication, collaboration, and to work together as a team? That's where we consider our sweet spot is around all of that sort of people side of stuff. Yeah, yeah, you still have your CI CD tools, your, you know, your, you know, your, you know, your GitHub actions or, or GitLab CI CD, whatever it is to, to run those types of things. Um, but that's where we see ourselves being very um, strong and it's sort of helping people with that, what I call unstructured data, right? You have your structured data coming out of source system, it alerts, it pops into Mattermost. Then you have some other process that responds to that alerts. And that process, at least in our world, right, is always a very unstructured humans talking to humans, like you call them war rooms, whatever it is, right? You have an outage, everyone hops on a war room and stuff like that. And the reality is, is that is a very unstructured process in terms of discovering what the issue is, but it's a very structured process in terms of how you go about that. And so we're, we're trying really hard to help with that use case as one of the use cases around that sort of incident management, incident response as well. Um, so that, that's kind of where we've been playing a lot. Like, but I think developer collaboration is probably the best. Like the, the funnest one is when you go talk to some of these people who do like really large incident management, like, you know, really big, like, like national security level types of incidents, right? It's kind of funny, right? Because you talk to them and they're, you know, they have these 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 alerting tools, these security alerting tools that are popping and going off. But the reality is, lots of times they have those conversations in Mattermost. Like the people conversing about it are actually in Mattermost or in Slack or something like that. They're in some sort of chat topic based tool, and that's where the real work is happening, right? Um, yeah, you have your alerting systems that fired it off, but that's just kind of like the start of the workflow, right? The start of the workflow is alert happens. Is this important enough? Like, or is this a false positive? Important enough, then it gets piped into Mattermost, and then sort of that process takes over from there. And we see a lot of success around that because that's really the reality of it is is helping those teams sort of communicate, collaborate, um, stuff like that. That's that's where our sweet spot really is. And I mean, that could be a lot of compliance help too, right? So if you've got everything in one location, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, compliant. I mean, security. At least in our world, security and compliance go hand in hand. Like I said, we're in a lot of large banks. I think three of the five largest banks in the world run Mattermost. And obviously, like not only is security an issue, but like compliance is really an issue in those worlds, right? Because you have things like insider trading laws, where they're not liable for you know tens or hundreds of millions of dollars and all those types of things. So, you know, you and that that's one side of the coin. The compliance is one side of the coin. Then we also do well on the other side of the coin, which is the pure privacy side of the coin as well. So. You know, that's kind of like two different sides of the privacy coin. One is the business or whatever is required by law to regulate like what they're doing, right? And then, then there's the other side of it as well. So we, we play well in both those areas. Yeah. And and you keep on adding more tools to that toolbox to make it easier to kind of like go back and forth. Um, because, I mean, I think that ideally when you're in the soup, <laughs> you know, and you're trying to deal with one of those, you know, the, one of those crazy outages, having access to you know, uh, access data or tools directly and, and have outputs and things is important. Um, and I know you just launched your Mattermost 6, which is the newest yep. release. Um, and so you you have a new uh, Notion feature, right? Yeah. Um, yep. Maybe have our Yeah, our Kanban, right. we, we call it Mattermost boards. It's basically Kanban style boards. It's integrated straight into Mattermost. Um, and, okay. You know, with links back and forth between them. So it's exactly that. And that's, that's what we find lots of times, right? You know, people like context switching, especially in that kind of environment where, you know, seconds or minutes cost thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. 
you know, is really important to sort of be, and it, it, honestly, it's not even just for those types of outages. It's just like a developer quality of life issue. <laughs> like, That's true. Right? Like, yeah. like customer, you know, like, oh, I call it customer satisfaction, but like developer customer satisfaction issue, right? It's like, oh, great. I guess this is like the 14th, like disparate tool that I have to go log into to find something like buried yeah. in the basement somewhere. Um, and, and, you know, no, you know, Nobody's going to fix that problem, but I think everyone's working in that direction. And there's there are quality of life things that you can do, right? You can make it a lot easier to turn the light switch on. Oh, this one has a staircase down to the basement, all those types of things. And that's where we really find ourselves focusing on the, on that kind of context switching, quality of life. We, we think there's a big, a lot of opportunity there. So, I mean, other than the quality of life issues, like, are there things you're hearing from the developers or the engineers um, like that these are the things that they're worried about or concerned about right now? Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I I think security is always one of those worries. I think that's one of those things that we always hear about. You know, the more we can integrate with security tools, tooling, that's always a good spot. Auditing compliance. Uh, it really depends on if you're on the ops side of the house or the dev side of the house. So if you're on the ops side of the house, it's like security, compliance. If you're on the development side of the house, it's actually things like, you know, keyboard shortcuts or quality of life in the UI in terms of performance. Like it's these yeah. little things that are actually score the highest, right? And that's what it is. So, you know, you know, it's one of those things. It's a move you do, you know, 5,000 times a day, if you, you know, or whatever, you know, 5,000, but 1,000 times a day. And if you can save half a second or 0.5 second, like 0.25 seconds or whatever, that's a, it's a big deal. So we get a lot, depending on like if you're talking to the dev side or the ops side, it's very different feature sets, very different apps, but I think still very valuable because the reality is, is those two worlds, you know, you know, DevOps, well, now they're even using the term, what, DevSecOps, right? They're kind of merging all three together. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, well, hey, we'll break them apart, merge them yeah. continually over the next 20 years. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned, like, some of those those small things that matter so much, matter most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, no, sorry, uh, that was a total pun. But... You know, it, it goes back to that kind of like UI, UX um, focus. It goes back to, you know, who your audience is. And, and it's funny because, you know, you mentioned, and we run into this too, right? Where, hey, from a database perspective, our most of our UI is a shell, yeah. right? Like, you know, kind of is. Yeah. Right now, as, as more developers start to manage databases, then that changes. Uh, but... It's interesting when you talk to people who are, you know, have that that straddle that line, right? So you've got deep operations people who may be comfortable in, you know, doing some scripting, you know, going to the shell, doing some, you know, command line operations. And then you've got all of these users who might be consuming, you know, what you're what you're giving um, and that UI UX for them makes or breaks your adoption. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, because I mean, let's be honest. You know, you you, you know, you, you deploy this at a at at, at some place, and let's say there's ten thousand users. Probably only a hundred of those users are those deep operations people who would actually <laughs> like be able to do the command line. So you've got to do the nine thousand nine hundred people. You got to make them happy. Yeah. No, and that, that that's totally true. Like, especially for us around you know sort of communication collaboration, you're you're spot on, right? Like, we have to make those people happy. We have to do it from a very, you know, I think slick and clean and quick UI UX perspective. But but it also raises an interesting question. And I know this is changing a little bit. But if you look at a lot of the previous successful open source companies, a lot of them are infrastructure. And you're right, right? Like they don't have to invest in UI. Like 
like we do as, as a project and as a company. And it's one of those really hard things sometimes because you don't get a lot of those natural open source resource. Like I keep saying, we're trying to try and increase design, but even finding somebody who's, who's even fine. I mean, people do it because they want to experiment, but finding someone who's truly passionate about like react native open source and who's contributing to Mattermost or whatever, like it's definitely not as easy as finding someone to contribute to the backend server or stuff like that. And I think it, I, you know, it's one of those interesting things. I don't know why it's like that, but it's definitely anecdotally, at least you look at a lot of the big open source companies that are successful and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a lot of it is infrastructure pieces. And, and I'm sure we can go into detail about why and how, but it's just, I know we always find that to be challenging because we're one of the few sort of, or, or frameworks, there's a lot of frameworks out there, right? But we're one of the few, I think, true applications where we have end users, right? Using our application, like you said, right? They're not people in the command line. They're, they're people who don't even know, you know, I would say some large percentage of our audience doesn't even know what that is, right? But the reality is, is we have to cater I always like to describe it, and maybe this is my own sort of ego coming through. I always like to describe it as like you're at a nightclub, right? And like all the developers are inside partying and there's like the there's the velvet rope that's trying to keep everybody else out because the developers just want their own little room to go party in. But the reality is, is that creates a FOMO. So you get everyone else at the company who want to go join the party. <laughs> and you know that that takes the form of things like chat or whatever. And we actually see that lots of times with our customer base. Where that exact same thing happens, right? They spin up a manual server. It's meant just for the developers, but it's like, oh, well, we need this person from design to come in. Okay, fine. We really need this person. And then it gets into like, we really need this person from marketing because we, you know, there's this message that has to go out. And so, what ends up happening it ends up becoming the, the space that everyone just organically ends up morphing to because the developer is there. So, that's sort of our mantra. Like, we focus on developers. That's our tip of the spear. That's our audience we want to own. But we have to pay homage to, to those general end users because you're right. Like. They will just, it'll be like organ rejection. They'll just like, nope, I'm not going to show up there because I can't use this application. <laughs> so, and it's, it's a hard balance. Well, but I think that a lot of infrastructure projects in the open source space need to learn from that because we're flipping this power, right? So, you know, when you say like, oh, you're focused on the developers, most of the infrastructure folks have been focused on the sysadmins, yep. DBAs, SREs, maybe. And now, those people are building internal platforms to do their kind of infrastructure as a service or infrastructure as code externally or, or to their, their developers. So even if your core audience has classically been the back end, now all of a sudden you're moving one step closer. So it's changing how a lot of perceptions are because what used to work doesn't necessarily work and you got to think a step up. Yeah. And I, I'm so excited about that future where exactly that, like more design, more front end work is coming to open source. Because, you you know, you rewind and your typical open source front end is like you open the properties menu and there's like this huge page with like 50,000 checkbox of things you can turn on or off. And that's great if you're a nerdy developer, right? But if you're if you're not a nerdy developer, that's just overwhelming, right? And so there's right. that, that great balance that has to occur. Yeah, you, 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 you want something that, that's going to say like, you know, how secure do you want this? My grandmother can get in, you know, like, you know, the people next door with the tinfoil hats can't, you know, like, you know, you, you know like whatever. I mean, like you, you make it so it's so easy. It's like you know, three buttons and you're done yeah. um, or whatever. Um, I get it. Right. Um, and I think that everyone wants easy yeah. and they want it as fast as they can without having to think about it. And, you know, you design for that. And I think you're pretty good. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's uh, true. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, but Corey, I wanted to thank you for coming out today. We're, we're almost at the end of our time. I want to be respectful of the time here. Um, I appreciate you sitting down talking to us a little bit about the Mattermost community, some of the cool things you're doing. Um, you know, we always want to inspire other communities, um, you know, uh, and, and folks out in the open source space to learn from one another and share these topics. So it was great to have you on. Awesome. I enjoyed it. Like I said, love it. So yeah, it's great. It's always fun. It's always fun talking with you, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Corey. Wow. What a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.